Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome President Clay Christensen to our show. President Christensen is the president of Mountainland Technical College in Lehigh, Utah. Hi, Clay. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be with you here. Tell me about Mountainland Technical College and why students select your institution. Yes, that's a, a great question. I appreciate the opportunity to address that. Mountainland Technical College is one of the technical colleges of eight technical colleges here in the in the state of Utah. The legislature and the taxpayers supported uh, this system tremendously, and there's some great opportunities for students to be successful. Here in the Mountainland region, we provide services to three counties. It's Utah, Wasatch, and Summit County. Um, growth is the main challenge that we have faced in our region. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, a great opportunity and certainly one that, that we, uh, we grasp and, and take hold of and, and work towards uh, trying to address and provide opportunities. Um, we, our main campus is here in Lehigh, Utah, but we also have campuses in Provo and in Spanish Fork um, in Orem. Well, we also uh, provide services uh, working with our partner institution, Utah Valley University in the Wasatch County area. And we also teach out of the high schools that are located in North and South Summit. Uh, school districts, Park City uh, School District and Wasatch School District as well. We have over 50 different industry programs that are available for uh, students to access. And, and uh, we have worked with partner institutions. Our primary regional partner is Utah Valley University. Uh, we have over 25 stackable credentials that are available that students can earn up to uh, 30 credits towards uh, their associate degree if they complete our industry-based certifications. Um, there's over 1,600 different credits that are available uh, through our partnership with UVU. We also have partnerships with Salt Lake Community College, uh, Utah State University, and Weber State University as well that the students can access. Some of the great things that are uh, and reasons why they choose our institution we have a low cost tuition for adults. Those are, uh, that is one of the charges from the legislature. And secondary students come tuition free. They, uh, both of those uh, groups have to pay for, for the fees, but it is uh, um, a low cost uh, tuition for the adults so they can come here um, at a relatively uh, low cost rate. And uh, something that we're very proud of, uh, this past year, 99.2% of our graduates graduated debt-free. So that when they're finished with our programs, they're ready to enter the workforce to take jobs that are available to them. And it's relevant. We have over 575 different advisory uh, committee members that represent different business and industries across um, those four sectors uh, that that helps students be successful. We also have a, a program called Custom Fit that is uh, training for incumbent workers uh, that, that helps the existing workforce. Um, and I mentioned earlier, we have great legislative support and uh, support from our system of higher education. And something interesting happened um, over the course of, of the past two or three years. The two systems have been merged together. The technical colleges and the credit granting institutions used to be two separate systems. They're now under one board, uh, state board, one commissioner uh, that regulates uh, all 16 institutions across the state. And it's been very beneficial for students. 
Is that that I assume helps with uh, transfer and things like that? It does. It's helped with those stackable credentials, transferability. Uh, right now, we're we're going through extensive studies to see how we can um, have shared services between institutions to help save the taxpayers' dollars and provide um, lower cost training for for our uh, students. Well, I see that you have some exciting programs. I'm kind of interested in your business and industry partnerships and also your customized training programs. Can you can you talk a little bit about them? Yes, I'd be happy to elaborate on that. All of the programs here were uh, accredited by uh, the Council on Occupational Education based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And so in order for us to maintain our accreditation, our students have to meet completion, placement, and licensure rates that are above the national standards that are established. So if a program does not meet those standards, we have roughly a one-year time period to bring that up to uh, remediate that area, or that program must be eliminated in order to maintain your institution standards. So we have to keep in very close touch with with business and industry. And so those 575 business industry uh, representatives um, help us in identifying um, the curriculum. They help us with uh, securing instructors. And uh, we are a nimble, responsive system. It doesn't take months or even years to make changes in curriculum. We do that immediately after these advisory committee meetings that go through that ensure that there are jobs available in an occupational area, that they're, uh, uh, that we are teaching the employable skills and that we're in tune with those business and industry uh, standards so that students can readily enter into the workforce. So we have business agreements with, with multiple large corporations and, and industries, and uh, uh, they help us with sponsorship of equipment, ensure that we're teaching on relevant uh, proper equipment so that they're, they're trained in accordance with what those standards are. Uh, yet it's across an industry sector, even though we may partner, for example, our, our welding program, we partner with Norco and Miller Electric. But those standards for employability are across the entire spectrum. They're training to American Welding Society standards to ensure that those students are ready for the workforce, not just for one business or industry, even though they may be a corporate sponsor for us here. The Custom Fit Program uh, is uh, comes through legislative appropriation. And uh, last year we received... Uh, uh, just uh, shy of 600,000 in appropriations from the legislature here at Mountain Land Technical College. But we in turn uh, turned that around to $1.5 million in training. It is a corporate partnership and where we say it's custom fit, it is customized for the needs of business and industry. And so if we don't have, uh, which uh, honestly quite often we don't necessarily have the uh, training personnel on staff. So we will contract with people from that business and industry sector. Uh, the company pays a portion of the costs, we pay a portion of the costs, and then we take that company contribution, put that in and continue doing more and more and more training. And so we easily double the taxpayers' dollars in, in training. And of course, that has a, a wonderful return on uh, investment uh, across each of uh, our service area, but across the state uh, as well. So um, great uh, forward thinking by our legislative body to implement custom fit. Yeah, I always like it when uh, you look at um, either the community colleges or the technical colleges where you talk to students and they're just excited that that their instructors are actually was, was is still in the field, still doing the job. I mean, they talk about a relationship they build with their well, faculty and staff really has a big input 
are a big impact on their students just to, just because they do it on a daily basis. So it really does. And, and uh, you know, one of the beautiful parts about that relationship with business and industry mentioned, we've got over 50 industry certified programs, but in healthcare, for example, from our healthcare advisory uh, sector, they said, here's some of the areas we're having trouble finding train employees, surgical technicians, central sterile technician, radiology technician. And so those are all programs that we have developed over the past few years that came as an outgrowth from business and industry. And in many of those cases, for example, our surgical tech staff, we have three employees that work part-time as surgical technicians with one of the healthcare providers here locally. And so they're just very much in tune with what's happened with business and industry, and they can relay that information to their students. Yeah. Well, what's new at your college right now? Um, we have uh, some exciting things that are taking place right now. Um, I mentioned that we're in a, in a real... Uh, growth pattern and have been for several years. We've added some new uh, uh, capital facilities projects through support with the legislature. We have a new trades and industry building here in Lehigh. Um, we have just, in fact, just met with architects where uh, we were funded in last year's legislative session for uh, a new campus down in Payson, the southern part of Utah County, where we're seeing a lot of growth. And uh, so, so those are, are really exciting things to see happen. And, and when I say that, we'll, uh, I know we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the changes in education with online education. But for technical ed, there is a huge hands-on component with it that we can do. It's difficult for us to do complete online learning, but we can do a blended learning situation. And so we've been able to utilize and capitalize on these facilities that have been funded through the legislative process to better utilize those facilities um, to provide equipment that's state-of-the-art that they're using and seeing when they go to work out in business and industry, and then uh, to have that hands-on component to be able to do that. We've also seen some addition of some new programs and mentioned uh, outgrowth of new programs. For example, in the welding area, uh, we have welding and, and all of the American Welding Society certification, but we also have a structural and a pipe fitting program, as well as a pipe welding that have all come as outgrowths from advisory committee demands and needs. Mentioned some of the healthcare area. We just opened a, a new cohort of, of uh, radiology technician uh, training program students, and, and that's a new lab, new facility for us here. We've also done um, a lot of work in partnering to provide this transition for our students to help them once they get the confidence. Sometimes it may be a bit intimidating uh, for, for some of the students that we receive uh, to even enter into education at all. So we have, have tried to uh, put together a student success center that helps students that realize what the opportunities are beyond the industry certification that they have, help them with that process and continue to add more opportunities for those stack credentials. So that work has all come about from a, a real vibrant um, K-16 alliance that we have in place here in the region. And we work very, very closely with our, our uh, other higher education partner. I mentioned Utah Valley University before, as well as the seven school districts that are in our region. And one of the things for the structure of the technical college system in Utah that, that works so phenomenally we have a board member, a school board member from each of those school districts that sit on our board of trustees. We have a trustee from Utah Valley University that sits on our board of trustees, but the predominance of our uh, board of trustees is comprised of business and industry representation. So business and industry has the, the quorum of that group and, and they always 
have uh, the most influence on on the final say of what's taking place. But it sure allows for a, a great relationship between all of those educational entities from from uh, the K-12 partners and the higher ed partners uh, so that students can be helped in, and we can help eliminate barriers and make uh, barriers and make that more seamless transition between, between those educational opportunities. Well, Clay, can you talk a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to become the president at MTech? It's kind of a, a little bit different path. When, um, when I was uh, involved in high school, I was really involved with uh, uh, the FFA, Future Farmers of America, and uh, sparked a, a real interest. I, I had a desire to be an agriculture teacher. I wanted to, to uh, give students the opportunity to be involved in some of the experiences I had. So I went to college for that, came out and I taught in the secondary system, um, taught at two different high schools for a number of years and was the FFA advisor um, and young farmers educational uh, advisor for those, uh, those programs. Um, went on and got my administrative supervisory credential and went into administration and worked on the state level as the state agriculture and welding specialist for a period of years uh, through our, our state office of education. And uh, uh, then also served as the state FFA advisor and state young farmers advisor. Got the opportunity to return back to the school district uh, where I taught high school and served there as the career and technical education director for the school district, which now is, is the largest school district here in the state of Utah. And this opportunity uh, presented itself at Mountain Land. My own children had gone through Mountain Land Technical College. I saw how successful they were and the, the opportunities that it gave them. have one that's now a dental hygienist uh, that went through the dental assisting program here at, at MTech. Uh, I have a daughter that um, uh, went through and, and got an accounting degree. Uh, she went through the programs here at Mountain Land Technical College. And I have a son that... Uh, works in the trades area, has his own business, is very successful, and that all started from his involvement here at MTech. So when I got that opportunity to, um, to come here to, uh, to be president, I jumped at, the, at that chance, and, and this is my 17th year here. I've been president here. Holy cow. I'm sorry. I just, I, that's a, that's a uh, you know, most, most, uh, Presence, they're about five to seven, five to eight years in there someplace. So you must really love it there. I really do. Um, uh, we, uh, you know, mentioned the growth at the time when I started here, and and I'll be the first to admit we have a great team of people. Um, I, I'm very fortunate. I get to rub shoulders with with great people that care about helping other others better their lives. But we were the fifth largest technical college at that time, when we're now the largest technical college. So we've seen a lot of growth during that time period, and. I think it's really been helpful for me being able to see it from the K-12 perspective. I spent a good share of my career there. Um, I just finished up my 40th year working in, in education, and, and I really am passionate about it. It, it still motivates me to, to come to work every day because I see the good things that, that happen and how people's lives can be changed. Well, what's been your proudest moments at MTech? Um, I think one of the, the things that that I'm very proud of is uh, our growth in capital facilities. We didn't we didn't have any own space at the time when when I started here. And I mentioned we we uh, built uh, two new campuses and and we've obtained two other sites that we've gone through complete remodels on um, during that time. 
with the help from the, of course, from the legislature and the taxpayers. And, and so to see how that's grown, uh, to see the growth of the college obviously is, is, uh, um, is, is something that I'm very proud of. Um, our graduation ceremonies, um, first few graduation ceremonies that we had were, were very meager and, uh, um, we have now grown to where um, this uh, we use the the UCCU Center at UVU to uh, have our graduation ceremonies. This past year, we had um, almost seven thousand people that came to graduation and had those graduates walk across the stage. Um, and uh, Governor Herbert, uh, uh, at the time when we held that graduation, was the first time that that a sitting governor has uh, been the. the commencement speaker at a technical college graduation. So um, we're, we're very proud of that. But uh, I think the thing that, that, uh, that makes me the most proud is, is to watch the success of the students. And we worry about development of the whole student. We don't just bring them in here to train them like robots to go to work in business and industry. We train them to be good citizens and good members of the community. And, and a lot of that takes place from the great instructors and, and staff and team that we have here at the college. They just have a good opportunity to, to develop as the whole person. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Well, what's been some of the biggest lessons you have learned as an academic leader? Um, I, I think probably the, the biggest lesson that I've learned is, is um, um, the student is our customer. And, uh, and the main reason uh, and the main focal point for every decision that's made needs to be the student and the experience they have there. Uh, closely followed by, by uh, having a great working environment for, um, for employees. Uh, we, we work very hard uh, to have benefits and opportunities for our employees so, so that they can be successful. And um, I think that's, that's one of the things that's, uh, that's been a real eye-opener for me. And, and no one's job is more or less important than anyone else's at, at this college. And uh, if the IT isn't working, if the facilities aren't working, if they don't have a positive experience in student services, if we don't remove as many barriers as we can, then students can be successful. And so it's imperative for us to have a great culture, to have a great working environment, and uh, to have a great team of people to provide that. We have... Uh, our employees stay with us a long time. We have long tenure from our employees. We have um, our director of student services has been here since this college opened its doors. She's been here that entire time. She's in her seventies now and uh, she's widowed and she comes to work every day because she's passionate about helping other people. And so um, I think that speaks about the culture that we've been able to develop as a team here. And uh so I guess those are those are the the lessons for me that we have to be nimble, we have to be flexible, we have to listen to business and industry. When it all boils down to it, each one of those students that that comes through our doors, they're individuals that have individual needs, and we need to do everything that we can to uh, have a positive culture and environment for them to be successful and to remove any barriers that might be in place. And it's a bit of a challenge because everyone's everyone's circumstances are different. And uh, so we have to look at that from a variety of perspectives. And so as we've assembled a team of people here, we we want people with a diverse backgrounds to look at things from all different angles. So um, 
so that we can remove those barriers. So those are some of the biggest lessons that I've learned working in administration at a technical college. It's a little different than a a K-12 system, and, and we have to be in tune with business and industry as well while that whole process is taking place. So if I just got hired as a college president, what advice would you give me? Something that served me really well here is um, I tell every employee when we're here and we, we uh, uh, point that out over and over and over again, that the three priorities that, that you should have as, uh, uh, with your team that you have there is that their first priority needs to be their health. If they don't feel well, if they're uh, having health issues, they're not productive at work, they're not happy at work. Their second priority should be their family and their personal life, their personal situation. Um, tell them all the time, if you've got a son or daughter that's in the Christmas program and you miss it, that's not right. We will find every way possible to make it uh, available for you, for the, the mothers to, to get their children on the bus the first day of school, whether they're working uh, and, and still coordinate that with work. We don't short the taxpayers. The work still gets done. We may extend the workday for those folks that day or, or exchange time with them at a different point in time, but that needs to be their second priority. And then third is work. And uh, I firmly believe that employees are much more productive if they're healthy, if they're happy, they're more focused on the work that they're doing here. And uh, um, I know that, that they go the extra mile. They give 110% at their job because um, we give them the opportunity to be with their family or their children or whatever the case might be. Uh, the other thing that um, I was raised during that area of, of punching the time clock and had a father that said the way to be successful is uh, make your boss look good. Be there 15 to 30 minutes before your boss is and, and stay longer. And uh, so it's been a bit of a challenge for me, but we have some really, really good people that we would have lost if we didn't work with them on allowing them to, to work remotely, which has been a big change for me. Um, I've had to, to really adapt to that uh, pandemic taught me a lot of lessons. That was one. And uh, uh, there again, um, we have some single moms that, that are in tough situations. We have some single fathers, um, single parents in general. Uh, we have people with some health issues, um, people with some family needs. And, and uh, you need to be flexible and uh, still hold people accountable, but you have to be flexible in, in what your expectations are with your team. Well, you know, if I was a faculty member and my president say, here's my priorities, health, family, work, I'd, I'd go to work for you tomorrow. I, I like that priority for sure. Thank you. Um, what do you think are the major challenges that technical colleges will face over the next five to 10 years? Um, I think across the board, um, you know, it's, it's different in different areas. Um, our area growth is going to continue to be a, a challenge. Um, we have done capital facilities requests <laughs> to the legislature every year since I've worked here. And uh, uh, I see that that will be taking place for the, the foreseeable future. So in some areas, declining enrollment is going to be a challenge. We have some economically depressed portions of the state based on, on uh, their reliance on specific uh, 
commodities or products or business and industry, and, and it's quite depressed right now. And so they're going to have to deal with just the opposite part of that. Um, our recruitment efforts are a whole lot different than their recruitments are. We do very targeted recruitment. It's tough to go out and recruit for uh, a program and tell someone, well, it, it's full and it might be three or four months before we can get you in, as opposed to, you know, we have capacity in some of the, the areas of the state. They may have capacity for 20 students and they're dealing with seven or eight. And how do we run that that class with with small numbers? So I think that's going to continue to be a cost or a challenge. Um, the in-person piece um, of the uh, we talked a little bit about the capital facilities, but that blended learning and making, uh, helping students be successful in a blended learning model is going to be a challenge for technical college. And then always the ongoing um, cost of tuition and cost of fees. And so uh, whatever we can do to help help keep those at a, a minimum and, uh, and, and still help our students, uh, um, you know, to be involved in the programs that we have. So more, more scholarship opportunities and, and more fundraising and things that, that we can do to help those students be successful. I think those are going to be challenges for technical colleges with, you know, with the traditional universities and credit granting institutions, online education and, and the in-person involvement, I think is, is going to be a little bit different challenge for them. Well, what will opportunities look like for um, technical colleges in the future? Um, I think that that you're going to see more things in the way of, of stackable credentials uh, that are available for students and eliminating duplication. That's what we're working at right now. And, and gosh, there, we've just made giant strides in that area from from where I ever dreamt that it could be. But uh, giving credit for uh, prior learning assessment and identifying uh, skill sets that someone may have that 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 is a veteran or that's uh, been involved in an industry in, in, in the military, to be able to assess that, give them credit for what they know and not causing duplication. And then from a higher ed perspective, we have to do the same thing with the K-12 system and be willing to look and assess and say, okay, what's the skill set? And all of this comes back down into competency-based education. I am a huge proponent of competency-based education. If you have that skill set, you should neither have to pay nor take the time to repeat or prove or show that you have that. And that's up to us as, high, as educators in higher education and public education, be able to assess that skill set that they have. And of course, various learning styles and, and people learn differently. They, they really do. And we need to be able to remove those barriers. And it may be a special population that we have to provide translation services for or special equipment modifications. Uh, but I think we're going to see more and more opportunities for access for our students in the future. And uh, business and industry, they're hungry for employees. We're at a really low Right now in Utah, we're at about 2% unemployment rate. Uh, it's just unheard of. And so um, uh, it has kind of flip-flopped to where uh, the employers now are having to actively recruit people to come and work for them uh, so that they can take on more work and, of course, uh, be more productive. Um, so I think, those, I think those are some of the opportunities that we're going to see. In uh, Utah, um, how many credits can you get for prior learning assessment if you come into a program? 
It varies uh, depending right now. One of the things that that our state system of higher education is doing, and and I applaud this. This, in fact, we were involved with a pilot with one of the other technical colleges of alignment of curriculum, so that this can can be more readily assessed. I mentioned right now they have what's called uh, Regents Policy R four seventy three that was implemented years and years ago that will give up to thirty credits for for uh, prior assessment. And so it varies. It just depends. And, and we've tried to listen to, to the students and what they've said. And, you know, early on when that was first done um, here in our region, it all funneled into one associate degree. It was a one size fits all. And obviously that wasn't what students wanted. They said, we'd rather have fewer credits available and have them in our occupational major area than to have the 30 credits of all uh, available for this generic it was tech management is what it was called at that time towards an associate degree so um we have various means of assessing that in business and industry it's quite easy to do because they can carry those industry certifications with them if it's in the american welding society they can carry those aws certs it's pretty easy for us to assess where they are and we can instead of starting at point a they might start at point l or point m or further down the system um and uh so uh, that's one of the things that i applaud the state office for we're also in the process of the technical colleges of making a transition from we have been um we have not been a credit granting institutions we've provided industry certification so it's been up to our higher ed partners to assess and it's varied by regions of the state as to what that that was worth or what value that carried with that. Once we have alignment of curriculum across the state in all of the tech colleges and we make this transfer from membership hours to credit, we'll make it much easier to have a unified system across the state. But I applaud our state system. I think they're very forward thinking and I think we're as far along as anyone in the, in the country on, on doing this, this assessment. Sure. I applaud you guys on that. It, it, it always is very frustrating when you, when you see veterans come out with a lot of training and they struggle with trying to, as you say, they have to duplicate everything from what they've just been doing for the past few years. So, um, well, we, we kind of touched a little bit about online education. So what do you think has been learned about online education uh, since the pandemic and how do you see this platform evolving at uh, technical colleges? Um, I think we learned a great deal about this, um, about online education, both the technical colleges and the traditional um, credit, current, what we refer to as credit granting institutions here in the state of Utah. Here at Mountainland Technical College, um, we were closed for nine weeks uh, during the pandemic. And then when we came back, we had to cap enrollment in many of our programs and social distance. To give you an idea on growth, it was still at that point was our second largest year ever, even after being closed for that time. That'll tell you how quickly we've been growing here at Mountland. But we learned a great deal. Um, we have here at, uh, at Mountland what, what we refer to as our Office of Teaching and Learning. Uh, for Canvas delivery, online curriculum education, and we've done we've done a great deal of transitioning. We've done a lot of work before that. We were we were very well prepared, but but there are still some a good deal of the curriculum in many of the areas that doesn't transfer to online. Um, our IT programs, for example, um, we have not only made that transition to where. Um, uh, all of our programs on Fridays, they are in a blended format. And part of that when they come online is they're learning how to be productive 
this was very interesting to me for someone who's not the most technologically literate. Um, as they made this transition, they're learning how to be productive at home in an online work setting so that they can transition. We sit right here in Silicon Slopes, right in the heart of Silicon Slopes here in, in Utah County. And so we have partnerships with many of the companies exact where we have a very close partnership, but we had one of the executives from Adobe was over here the other day and he said that that's very interesting. Uh, talked about how a small percentage of their workforce is actually back working live now and, and the rest of them are, are based from home. But our curriculum has made that transition because um, uh, for example, in our web development program, we hire programmers from ExactWare to come and team teach with our instructors. And that, cr that curriculum evolves constantly, daily in some cases. And so uh, I thought it was great that they made that transition to help those students be successful and learn how to work at home. One of the other things that we've found here in the state of Utah, and, and it I'm not sure that we're unique in this situation, but in, in the surveying uh, that there is a large number of students that, that are not being served that have some college, but no degree or some college and no certificate. And so that's, that's an area that we are focusing on and being able to have a blended situation. Um, the other piece that we've talked extensively uh, as part of the task force that's working on that is from the technical college perspective, how could we make this so that even if we had an all-encompassing online opportunity, that the students, maybe they're taking that and the instructions taking place from the northern part of the state of Utah, but they live in southern Utah, still have that hands-on access, but go into their local technical college to do that hands-on component and piece and tie that. So I think that's something. Uh, that we've we've learned through that whole process students want options they want to learn in different formats and it may not be a regularly scheduled we all sit down at the same time and have class the old carnegie unit that we're so familiar with in public education um, different times um, different learning styles uh, the hands-on training piece will continue to be the challenge for the technical college as to how do we deliver that um, in a, even if it is in a statewide format so that students can access that, but we can make that as easy as possible and eliminate as many barriers as possible. Well, you know, non-traditional students sometimes struggle at uh, traditional colleges and universities. So what are technical colleges doing to serve this specific student population better? Um, that's a great question. Um, we, have we have tried from, in a variety of ways um, one thing I'll point out is the technical colleges, even though we might be competitive in nature in a lot of areas, we're very collegial and something that works in one area, um, we pass that on. Something that we received from a sister institution was a recommendation, um, for example, and, and uh, we began hosting the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce here. Something that we learned from that exercise is that that uh, that the, a formal setting and a government setting can be intimidating even for parents. And if you can make that a welcoming experience for the parents, which is what we saw, those that came in to, to be involved in the Hispanic Chamber, that then the, that, that opened up opportunities for the students. Uh, that they felt more comfortable to come and enroll in the programs. Some of the other things that we've done is we have, uh, we have hired an inclusion specialist. 
Uh, he's a director of inclusion. And, and, and I say inclusion when we talk about ex- equity and diversity and inclusion. We say inclusion because we don't want to look at just specific areas. We want to look across the entire board. It might be someone that's economically disadvantaged. It might be someone that's physically disadvantaged. It might be racial uh, questions or concerns that are present. And he looks at that in all perspectives, and we have him included um, across the board. This has been a great addition for us. Um, to have someone that that uh, can look through a different set, uh, through a different lens, a different set of eyes to ensure that we are, are eliminating as many barriers as possible. And then being involved in and supporting the activities in the community, whether it's uh, chambers of commerce across the entire board, whether it's uh, activities that are happening with a, within a community. Uh, we've run some sections of certified nurse assisting that focus specifically on um, uh, dual language uh, uh, students to be involved in that. We also partnered with workforce services and with one of the local healthcare providers, and we brought in uh, single mothers. We were able to waive tuition, and uh, the healthcare providers agreed to give them an interview. And DWS helped us with um, some of the childcare costs and transportations and eliminating those barriers for those young. Uh, it ended up being young uh, single mothers that were in that that first cohort, uh, but every one of them were guaranteed that interview. And coincidentally, that same healthcare provider who was one of our board of trustees, they hired every one of those. And to see them um, get off of government assistance and to have confidence and to feel good about life and and what is taking place for them, um, those those are the intrinsic wins and and the the things that that make you feel good about being involved in education across the board. Translation services might be might be needed. We may need to make modifications. Uh, we work closely with, uh, for example, with uh, the special ed department in the school districts to ensure that, that uh, we are looking at, at what accommodations were made to, to help them be successful there at the high school and what can we do uh, at this post-secondary experience to eliminate that. And then on, on the final piece is, uh, talked about that a little earlier about how that can be intimidating. We've had we've had many students. Had one in particular that ended up being our student of the year. He came here. Uh, he enrolled at at the university. Went there the first day of class and was scared to death because of the number of cars and people and wouldn't enter the doors at the university. He came home and ended up going on an ecclesiastical experience for two years. Came home got uh, married. His wife had gone through our medical assisting program. And she said, why don't you try it over there at Dam Tech and see if, if you can get by. It was a little less intimidating for him, but he came and did our medical assisting, ended up being our student of the year. He got the confidence to then enroll in that same post-secondary institution and through having transition specialists and placement specialists to help that for lack of a better term, the hand-holding process to be confident to go down to tackle that. He's now in a physician assistant program. And so those are the types of things where we can, if we can remove barriers and help students feel comfortable in their situation. And all of us are intimidated by different things and have different fears and, and challenges and obstacles. And if we can do our very best to eliminate those, we can, we can affect a lot of lives that way. Yeah, what a great success story. Um, Very much. You know, a lot of higher ed institutions now are focusing their attention on the mental health of students. What can campuses do to tackle this problem? 
Uh, there are a variety of ways that we can do this. And, and our, uh, I mentioned our system of, of higher education. Um, we have partnered for, for mental health care with uh, Trula Foundation and have that available for our students. We were the first tech college here in the state of Utah to implement the Safe UT app, um, have counselors on board all of the time that uh, for a variety of things from suicide prevention to, uh, to have that accessibility. Um, it's a little bit different in the technical college because we don't have student housing. Um, we don't have students that are, uh, you know, we have some, some uh, student organization activities that take place, but they're primarily come here, take the services and leave. And so our, our approach has been a little bit different. We have counselors that are trained in mental health care. We work here very closely with uh, Wasatch Mental Health and make references and and uh, for services there. We've also done specific training um, to help uh, because that, that whole mental health issue goes over into employees as well. And, and we have employees that, that we work with, with uh, uh, stress management. Um, we also to pro provide support services. We talked about Office of Teaching and Learning. We keep asking for more and more and more and more of, of our instructors, especially our instructors and staff, especially in the way of accountability and paperwork. And so we provide support services there for them as well. Um, we've done some things here at, at Mount Lyon Technical College. We implemented paternity leave, for example, and uh, for young fathers, to, uh, we had maternity leave in place, but that was one of the things we heard loud and clear from our employees. It's been very successful and appreciated by, by uh, folks here. We've done some things to, to support them. We have an educational reimbursement program. Um, we do community service. We're actively involved with United Way, and I think all of those types of things well, they may not be um, directly related to a service provided for the individual. They make them feel better about themselves. And when you're providing service, um, um, we feel really strongly about that. When you provide service for others, and, and education is providing service for others, but when that extends out into things like United Way and Sub for Santa and some of the other activities that are going on during the course of the year, that, that it, it, it uh, really helps uh, employees and staff as well. So those are some of the things that we've done and that, that, that we can be involved in that, that, that I think really help uh, faculty and students as well. Well, here's a fun question. If you had any, I, I, let's put it this way. If you had free money, if you had extra budget money, no strings attached, how would you spend it? Um, depending on the amount for us here, our focus would be on capital facilities uh, to provide those hands-on training. And I know it's difficult and we, we get this all the time. It's hard for people and the taxpayers as well to keep putting up brick and mortar. And we realize that. But uh, we've looked so closely at our building usage here at Mountain Lion Technical College. When I started, one of the things that we looked at were, gosh, how can we increase our adult population? How can we better utilize our buildings? How can we have them open and available on the weekends? Well, those things have all come to fruition. Um, our building utilization is, is the highest in the entire system. We have... Uh, our campuses are full in the evening. We have a very vibrant apprenticeship program that, that they consume all every empty space that we have. We're even outside of our region uh, providing services on a statewide basis for the general contractor program for the state of Utah and the heavy equipment operator program. So for us, it would it would definitely be capital facilities. I'd have to say, you know, a lot of times people will say equipment. Um, our legislature has treated us very, very well on equipment appropriations and continue to support us on that. And then we've developed some great partnerships. We have 
um, situations where 90 plus percent of the equipment in the lab is actually owned by business and industry. And they rotate it every 18 to 24 months. And uh, that's part of their business sponsorship with us. So we have several of those in place. We have a whole laundry list of of business and industry uh, corporate sponsors. And you'll see those, we we recognize them in our labs. We recognize them in our, our advertisement and things that we do. And uh, um, of course it's, it's a win-win situation for them as well, because then when students uh, go out to work in the workforce, they're asking for the equipment that they trained on um, and they're going to work for these employers as well. So it's really developed into a great, uh, partnership. So I guess back to that question, that is a fun question. I guess I'd have to say expansion of our capital facilities. Yeah, it sounds like you got a great relationship with the industry there. We really do. And, you know, a lot of that comes back. Um, uh, we have the CEOs of, of major corporate healthcare programs here. We have CEOs of, of uh, uh, major uh, automotive dealerships that sit on our business and industry. Um, we have uh, one of the executives, for example, from Texas Instrument that represents our, our manufacturing sector. One of the things that, that we're really proud of that we have done with our, our business and industry trustees on our board is we established a relationship with our governor. All of those trustee positions are appointed by the governor and have to be approved by the state senate. The governor has agreed if we have a vacancy, for example, in the IT sector, he will replace and appoint someone from the IT sector to fill that position. So we always have a set number of representatives from manufacturing, from the business IT sector, from welding and industry. And then the other thing is when we get those board members from the school districts, oftentimes they have great business and industry backgrounds or ties themselves that help enrich what takes place there. So all of that, along with that involvement in those advisory committees, and what better way can you recruit for new employees than to come and sit on an advisory committee and establish a relationship with the instructors in that program so that uh, you can access the cream of the crop when those students come out. So um, it it really has, has served us well. Good point. Well, here's my last question. Do you have any favorite books on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, I uh, My very, very favorite book, um, it's not long, um, but uh, is Lincoln on Leadership, written by Donald Phillips. Um, just happened to, I don't know if you can see that or not. Oh, yeah, I see not that, yeah. Focusing in very well. This is my favorite book. And uh, something that's motivated me from, from day one is, is chapter four. Um, honesty and integrity are the best policies. Now that seems quite simple, but um, if uh, regardless of what your position is, if you can enhance and enrich your relationship with whether it be to the legislature, uh, to being a great team player with the system of higher education, with your colleagues, uh, with your peers, with the students, if they know that they can count and trust on what what you're saying, um, this has been my favorite book. And of course, there's a lot of different, uh, there's a lot of different sections. The other one that I'm in the middle of reading right now is The Speed of Trust, one, the one thing that changes everything by uh, Stephen M. R. Covey. And uh, when I was involved in, in public education, we went through uh, seven habits that his father wrote. And of course, he just lives down the road from us down here, both he and his 
his father lived here in Utah County as well. And so we went through that, uh, that uh, sites training and went through all of those seven habits and that, that what was focused on. So the speed of trust. And, and I think that ties in really well with Lincoln on leadership and, and uh, your reputation means everything. And uh, with students, uh, with your customers, and uh, if they can trust you, uh, then you, then you can make progress as an educator, and you can help you can help better your situation. So those are my, uh, one that I've I've read for years and years. Lincoln on leadership has been my favorite for a long, long time. I've used it constantly and then this one i'm i'm about halfway through the speed of trust with okay. with steve and mark covey well excellent points clay well that looks like that's the end of our show today i really enjoyed our conversation i enjoyed it as well thanks for the opportunity to share some thoughts and and my two cents worth on education but um i have i have really enjoyed the opportunity to work with uh students and educators and and uh with our, our local legislators and, and community leaders on, on trying to make a change and better people's lives through education. Uh, to me, that's what it's all about. So thanks for this opportunity, Dave. I really appreciate that. Well, it wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.